0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. All of us have a picture of Jesus in our mind. All of us have this tendency of thinking about Jesus in certain ways, and many of us, if we're honest, we either whittle down Jesus to a God that we can comprehend, or we exalt ourselves and kind of make Jesus an elaborate version of us. And so the reality of it is we all do this in different ways, and so a quick Google search will show us that all of us have these different images that come to our mind when we think about Jesus. And so I Googled Jesus, and the number one thing that came up was kind of this type of Jesus. Little uh, meek and mild Jesus, and so he's typically holding a a sheep for some reason. I I can't really chapter and verse anything where Jesus did this exactly, but this is kind of the common picture that we have in our mind when it comes to Jesus. But for some of us, this is a little outdated, and so from here you have Buddy Jesus. Just kind of your friend and co-pilot in life, just kind of there for you, right? Uh, But from there, for the kids, we have, you know, action figure Jesus. Yeah. And uh, if you can tell, this is actually the deluxe edition of Jesus, which says here, feeds 5,000, which I highly doubt, okay? From here, you have a comic book Jesus, manga Jesus, but if that's too kind of uh, weak for you, don't you worry, you have arm wrestling Jesus, all right? (laughs) Taking down the devil, and my favorite part of this picture is if you look closely, there's birds kind of coming out of Jesus' mouth, floating towards the enemy, right? From there, you have UFC Jesus, ground and pound seven days a week, right? And if that wasn't strong enough for you, don't you worry, you have strong Jesus, which there's so many things wrong with this picture. But let's be honest, men, we all wanna look that like that, right? Ripped like Jesus. Uh, from here, you have goth Jesus, which is really scary, but was popular in the 90s, right? And then from here, you have vanilla ice Jesus. If you were born past 1980s, I'll let you just give a moment to Google what it means to, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it, right? Vanilla Ice Jesus, and then my favorite, Superhero Jesus, explaining to the Avengers how he really saved the world. Amen? Amen. We all have a picture in our mind when it comes to Jesus, and let's be honest, these are silly pictures about Jesus, but there is this tendency in our own hearts to kind of think about Jesus in a certain way. In fact, there is this art museum that took pictures of Jesus from across the world and across the generations and showcase these different images of who Jesus is and what we think about when we think about Jesus. And as you walk through this gallery, it's meant to show you this beautiful reality that, yes, Jesus fits into every single culture on earth. And yet, as you see all these different pictures of Jesus, you're forced to reconcile with the reality in you of how do I see Jesus? What do I celebrate? What do I ignore? What part of him do I love? What part of him do I avoid? And the truth is we all do this with Jesus in certain ways. We hold this picture in our mind and it's often this Jesus that we've whittled down to kind of be a Jesus we can comprehend or we've exalted a greater version of ourselves that we can then kind of be. And so the truth is what's tragic about both of those is that when we whittle down Jesus to a Jesus we can comprehend or just exalt a greater version of ourselves, yes, that Jesus can't contradict us. That Jesus can't convict us. But that Jesus also can't save us. That Jesus can't be there when life gets hard. We all have this tendency of doing this. For many of us, Jesus becomes Like in our culture, in our time today, in the kind of 21st century North Dallas, Jesus becomes kind of this self-help guru. That I just take a little bit of Jesus and he just kind of helps me to have a better life now, right? Or Jesus is this like moral example that I just want my kids to follow. And so the majority of people in our culture, they kind of come to church growing up and then they stop going from the age of college until they're a young adult and then whenever they have kids, they bring their kids back to church because they want their kids to have some moral chip in them And Jesus is the best moral chip. And so we just want Jesus to be this moral guru or this self-help guru in our lives. And so we have this tendency in our hearts to whittle down Jesus so we can comprehend him and then ultimately just control him. And we all do this. And so the questions for us for this morning is how do you do it? How do you whittle down Jesus? How do you highlight just certain parts of him while ignoring other parts of him? What verses do you go to that give you the warm fuzzies and then what do you avoid when the very same God is saying both of those? That's what we're talking about this morning. What preconceptions do we bring to the table? What do we think about when we think about Jesus? Because the truth is, when we miss the fullness of Jesus, we miss the fullness of life. And when we walk deeply with this person named Jesus, he is life, he is light. He is the one who has come into the human story and has recreated what's been broken in us, and yet when we whittled him down, we miss out on the true life that he has to offer. And so we have to let Jesus be Jesus in our own lives if we're gonna find the life that he's promised. And so we've been moving through a series through the Gospel of John And the Gospel of John kind of highlights these different movements with Jesus, and and each one is kind of centered in on Jesus encountering these different individuals. We've talked about Jesus encountering uh, Nicodemus, Jesus encountering the woman at the well, Jesus feeding the 5,000. We've talked about all these different moments in which Jesus is encountering different individuals, and now we're getting to a moment in the Gospel of John in which Jesus is very well known. Like, everyone knows about this person. Everywhere he goes, a large crowd follows him. It would be like if Taylor Swift went to the mall, all right? Everywhere he goes, swarms of people follow him, and Jesus is gonna use this moment to make a declaration about who he is and what he's come to do, because we can't whittle him down. And every single time Jesus interacts with these different individuals, he is predominantly doing one thing, he is taking their false view about who he is and he's replacing it with the right view because he so desperately wants us to have life and life abundantly and he knows that that's only found in him, in him alone. It's not found anywhere else. It's found in Christ. And so John 7 and 8 is this snapshot of all these different individuals, it's Jesus declaring the fullness of who he is, but then the moment he declares the fullness of who he is, all of a sudden everyone breaks into these different camps about how they actually see Jesus and how they see Jesus will determine the course of their life and the course of what they do with Jesus in their life. And the heart of Jesus this morning and the heart of Jesus for you is he desires you to find life and life abundantly and he knows it's only found in him. And so throughout this, chapters, these two chapters, we're gonna see Jesus make this declaration about who he is and what he's done. But then that declaration is gonna lead to division amongst the people. And that division is gonna force a decision that they need to make about the person and work of Jesus. And so first up, we're gonna see Jesus declares his identity who he is and what he's done everything in this chapter is going to point to the reality that jesus is more than just some mere man or some mere rabbi a good teacher he is more than that he is the god of the universe come into our story to fix what's been broken in us and so this takes place it says in verse two it says it takes place at the feast of the booths now that that Right there, the Feast of the Booths, it says that now the Jews' Feast of the Booths was at hand, and so that was the Feast of the Tabernacles. That was a Jewish high holiday in which they were there to celebrate all that God had done with them. And so it's radically important that we understand what's going on here and what they were celebrating, or else we're not gonna understand what Jesus is fully claiming about himself. You see, in this moment, the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was their yearly celebration as the Jewish people to come together and celebrate what God had done in their lives. You see, God had rescued God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, from Egypt out of captivity and brought them across the Red Sea and was going to bring them into the promised land. But as they scoped out the promised land, they all get afraid and they pull back. And so for 40 years, God resets their mind about who he is, that he is the God who provides for them. He's the God who protects them no matter what the situation is around them. He is the God that is there with them. And so throughout this journey, that he would provide for them. He would guide them in the wilderness with a cloud of smoke by day and a fire by night, but then he would give them manna from heaven that they could eat, and then he would give them water from the rock so that they could drink. And so throughout this festival, they would have all these different symbols to celebrate this moment. And so one of the symbols was simply this. They would have this parade, And in this parade, they would have this jar of water and they would celebrate it and there would be all these different people coming together into the heart of the town, which was the temple, the place where God's spirit was uniquely designed to be present in. And they would come in and the priest would hold up water that was meant to symbolize God's provision for them in the wilderness and everyone would gather around just like here and he would pour it out. And as he poured it out, he would celebrate God's provision for them in the wilderness. And the people would remember that in the, in the most dry and weary land, like we just read in Psalm 73, in the most dry and weary land, God is the one that gives us water. He satisfies our soul. And if you read with us this week, John 7 and 8, like I hope you're doing, what you saw was Jesus at a very specific moment in the ceremony, what did he say? He said, you're thirsty? I give the true water. Are you thirsty walking in this wilderness of life? Are you thirsty trying to drink the sand of the world and you're wondering why you're still thirsty? He says, come to me. And I give you living water, which is the spirit of God that would come into your life. And in chapter seven, verses 38 and 39, it says that when that happens, when you believe in Jesus, that he is the one who truly gives the living water, that he is the one who ultimately provides for you by giving you the spirit of God that would come into your life and then overflow into a life that's abundant with joy and peace and satisfaction. He goes, you want living water. You don't come to a festival, you come to me festival would continue. And as day turned to night, there would be in the temple all of these different lamps that were lit. Because God would guide his people throughout the wilderness journey by smoke by day, but by fire by night. And it was meant to represent God's protection and God's presence with them. So Jesus looks at this and he goes, that's me. I'm the light of the world. You come to me and you won't walk in darkness. Like, like, let's be honest, this world is crazy dark right now. And Jesus is declaring to them and to us, hey, come to me and walk in the light of my presence and my goodness and I will protect you and I'll provide for you and I will give you peace. And so this is insanity. Jesus is saying, I'm the living water, I'm the light of the world, who can say this? There's only one being that can say this, and that is God himself. And that's why the end of this chapter says that Jesus said to them, truly, truly say to you, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am was what God told Moses before they went on that wilderness journey. He told them, hey, I am who I am. It's Where we get the name Yahweh. The Greek is ego mean. that's what I am means. And so he's saying, you know who I'm talking about? You know who I am? I am the God that provided for you in the wilderness. I am the God who is there for you. I am the God who provides and protects and gives you peace. I am who I am. Jesus is claiming his ultimate divinity. This is insanity. I mean, this is the same as the president walking in on President's Day. This is the same as the Easter bunny crashing an Easter egg hunt. This is a guy walking into a Christmas Eve and, and looking at all the presents and looking at all the lights on the tree and goes, you see those lights, those are about me. See those presents? I'm the real gift. I mean, I've tried that with Michaela before. I'm the real gift, baby. Doesn't go well. But that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's making a claim that this party that you're throwing is all about me. And yet John 1 will tell us that Jesus came to his own people and it was meant to be a celebration, but it becomes a cause for division. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But It says whoever did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. So he comes to his own and it's meant to be a celebration, but it's a cause for division. And so Jesus, in declaring his identity, he is purposely causing a division amongst the people that you cannot stay neutral when it comes to Jesus. That throughout this passage, people start to fall in these different camps. Jesus is clearly stating an objective reality that he is God and he is the one who provides for you and he is the one who your life needs to be centered around. That's a bold statement, unless it's true and these people will divide into different camps, and each one is trying to whittle Jesus down to a, to a Jesus they can comprehend, and it's the same thing we do. The first group sees Jesus as a good man or a great spiritual leader. It says in 12, it says, there is much muttering about him with the people, and some of them said, hey, he, he's, a good, he's a good man. He's a nice fella. He's a great guy, right? Another group of people see him, and they go, hey, they heard his words, and someone said, man, I think this might even be the prophet. So this group right here, they see Jesus as like this good guy that they can mimic or a spiritual leader that they can kind of listen to. And so look, I'll take a little bit of Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll let him, I'll kind of listen to his words because I think he might be from God. I'll listen to his words as long as it's you know convenient for me. As long as it kind of already aligns with what I already wanna do. So I'll take a little bit of Jesus, I'll take a little bit of Oprah, I'll take a little bit of Instagram posts, and I'll just kind of create this little God in my image that just tells me to do what I already wanna do. You see, these people, when they leave it just as he's a good man or he's some spiritual leader, they'll walk with Jesus for a little bit, but then once it's culturally inconvenient for them, they'll bail. See, the passage says in verse 13, it says, yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Verse 46 says the officers, these people that were gonna go and kind of listen to Jesus, come back with the per- report. They said, hey, no one's ever talked like this guy before. Like, what are you saying? It's these amazing things that, that maybe we should kind of get our life aligned with him. But then it says the Pharisees answer to them, have you also been deceived? The dogs start barking, and they get really silent. Have any of the authorities of, or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, these idiots, they don't know the law, they're accursed. And so, watch this. If all you see Jesus as is, is some good God that you want your kids to emulate or some spiritual guru that you can kind of have five steps to a better life, the moment things get hard, whether internally with fear or externally with social pressures and cultural realities, you will bail. And when the dogs start barking, we get really silent. And that right there is why our church, our the church, the big C church, and, and our culture today is so wildly weak and ineffective. So as we get terrified because someone takes to Twitter, <laughs> you kidding? Who's, who's Jesus again? Who's your Lord? You see, this is really revealing about who is your ultimate authority. Because I'll walk with Jesus, claim him to be my authority, claim him to be a good guy, claim him to be a spiritual leader. But the moment my real authority speaks up, I fall in line with them. The moment it's culturally unacceptable, then I get real quiet. So City Bridge, are you speaking up? Are you speaking up at work when your company is pushing forward policies that are clearly against the will of God? Are you speaking up with schools when the latest cultural fad just comes off and our kids are being indoctrinated by just the ways of this world? Are you speaking up when it's culturally difficult or are you just listening to your real authority? See, if we truly believe that Jesus is the light of the world, then we need to stop being afraid of the darkness. If Jesus is really the light of the world, then we need to stop needing to yell at the darkness and just turn on the light, and just put people before Jesus, and let Jesus get to work in their hearts. And as the Puritan said, the same sun that will melt the ice will harden the clay that Jesus is declaring all that he is. And for some of us, when we declare that in our lives and the lives of those around us, it's gonna melt the hearts of those around us. And they're gonna come and go, okay, I need something. I need that that living water that is Jesus. I need the light to illuminate my life. I need him. And for other people, the sun's gonna shine down. It's gonna harden their hearts. But our role isn't to yell at the darkness. It's to turn on a light. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's what we're called to do. But if he's just a good guy, if he's just a spiritual guru, then no wonder we're afraid. But if he's the light of the world, we have no reason to. The Lion of Judah is on our side. We have to stop being afraid of the kitten in the room. He's more than a good guy. He's more than a spiritual life coach. He is who he is. He is the one who is in control over all things including your life, including the crazy out there. He's got this. The second group, don't see Jesus as a good guy or a spiritual leader. They see him as an annoyance. They see him as an annoyance. The passage actually begins with Jesus' own brothers making fun of him, and then people want to arrest him, and it ends with people wanting to kill him. There's a spectrum there but each one of them has one singular thing in mind. They think Jesus is crazy, so they want to silence him. And that's why this passage right here says the Jews answer them, are we not saying, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? They're throwing insults at Jesus left and right, calling him a Samaritan, calling him a demon. So no matter where we're at on the spectrum, the reality of it is, whether it's from mocking all the way to want to kill him, all of them are saying the same thing We just gotta get rid of this guy. We gotta silence him, because this guy's saying some stuff that's crazy. And here's the truth. Most of us wouldn't put ourselves in this camp. But a lot of us live this way. Because all of these are whittled down to this one central reality that Jesus is just this kind of annoyance, he's crazy, he's saying things that I don't agree with, and so I'm just gonna silence him. And so I know Jesus says things about how I'm supposed to spend my time but you know what, I'm busy, and I think I know best. I know Jesus says a lot about how we're supposed to spend our money, because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, and, he, and he's after our heart, but you know what, I earned that, right? And I'm gonna get all my needs met, and then maybe I'll spend money on things that Jesus is actually concerned with. I know Jesus, I mean, we've seen this a lot over the last couple of months, I know Jesus says, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church, but all I can hear is wives submit to your husbands. I like that verse and so I'm gonna push into my wife that and ignore the fact that the very next verse calls you as husbands to love your wife sacrificially and without measure, to die to yourself so that she might become all she was meant to be so that you would look like Christ in her life. I know Jesus tells me 366 times, do not be afraid. But have you watched the news? Surely I have the right to be afraid. What are we doing? We're saying, Jesus, my way is better than yours. So I'm gonna silence you. We all do it in certain ways. When Jesus is just an annoyance in our lives, we silence him. But who do we say Jesus is? If Jesus really is the one that gives living water, if he really is the one that's the light of the world, then maybe he sees things differently than we do. Maybe we need to listen to him. And there's one last group that sees him like that. It says throughout this passage, many of the people believed in him. It says when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? They're doing what John 20 tells us John is there to do, which is that these signs, these wonders are pointing to a reality that Jesus is who he says he is. So they're looking at those and they're beginning to taste, they're beginning to see that the Lord is good. Jesus is purposely forcing an issue here. You cannot stay neutral about Jesus. One of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis because he sees this reality. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, whether in word or in practice, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we cannot say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, but you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense of him being a great human teacher. He has not left us that option. He did not intend to. The God of the universe has come into our story and we have to deal with him. And there is no middle ground. Those that see Jesus as a good guy our guru will follow him as long as it's culturally comfortable and then fall away the moment it's not. And you're seeing that in this world right now. And maybe you're seeing that in your own life right now. Those that see Jesus as an annoyance will blind themselves to the truth and never find life. When we miss the fullness of Jesus, we miss the fullness of life. But for those that see Jesus for who he truly is, they begin to taste. They begin to see that the Lord is good. They begin to taste that living water that satisfies their soul and gives them what nothing in this world can, They begin to see that he is the light of the world and he can illuminate everything in my life within everything else that I see around me and he can give me peace and patience in the midst of the crazy storms of this life, in the midst of the wilderness seasons where there's everything around me is this dry and weary land. He can give us water in the desert. That's what they're beginning to see. You must make your choice. You see, when Jesus reveals his identity, he is purposely causing this division because he wants to force a decision on us. Throughout this passage, 10 different times, the word belief comes up. Believe, 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 believe. This is not about your behavior. This is about the belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he is the living water, that he gives that living water, which is the Holy Spirit. He is the light of the world. He is the God of the universe. And if we believe that, then it should radically impact every aspect of our life. Why doesn't it? It's because we have to be honest with ourselves that we do not believe we might functionally go, you know what, Jesus is like my, my savior, he's my God, but day in and day out, we are not living like he is our Lord. And I hear so often people saying this claim, like, yeah, I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was in seventh grade, but he really became my Lord in college. There is no category in scripture for that. What you are actually saying is this. I trusted in Jesus whenever I was in seventh grade or middle school or whatever that was, but I was not walking in obedience to him. And then God got a hold of me sometime in college, and that's when I began to radically yield my life to the Spirit of God that is already in me. Jesus is calling you to believe him. Full devotion for Christians ought to be normal. And it's not. It's not. City Bridge, let us be marked by a deep belief in Jesus the Christ. Let us be marked by full devotion to him in every aspect of our life. He's not trying to rip you off. He wants to set you free. Free to follow him, and free to find life, free to have the living water pour inside of you, free to have the light of the world shadow you everywhere you go. so Jesus looks at this and it's so important to him that he's gonna give us this litmus test of whether or not we truly believe. In the rest of our passage, he's gonna hit these different ideas and it's a litmus test for us. Do I actually believe in Jesus or do I just say I do? So the first thing that Jesus is gonna say is look at your actions. Do you listen to him? Do you listen to him? He says in verse 38 of chapter eight, he says, so Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, these people who were professing, hey, I'm, I'm on your team, and then Jesus is gonna lean in. He says, if you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So City Bridge, are you listening to him? Are you letting the words of God abide, rest, remain deeply in your head, in your heart, that's impacting your hands? Are you creating space that you can interact with him, that you can listen to him, that you can live a life for him? It should be concerning for you if you have not created space in this last week, this last month, this last year to spend time with Jesus. It would be like me being married and not hanging out with my spouse. There'd be something wrong there. And so community groups, if there's someone in your group that's living that way. You need to challenge them because this is the first litmus test. He's going after your actions. Do you listen to him? From there, you look at your affections. Do you love him? Do you love him? Jesus says it plainly in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. You'd love me. For I came from God, and I'm right here. I'm right here. Do you love them? How do you know if you love someone? You find that time to be with them. You create space that you can interact with them. You prioritize them in your life. You think about them throughout the day. You're committed to them even when things get hard. Do you love them? Do you love them? Or do you just love the things of this world? The last litmus test is you look at your allegiance. Is Jesus your Lord? This passage is gonna begin with Jesus being mocked and ridiculed and being called a demon. It's gonna end with Jesus calling them the son of the devil. So it's heated. Jesus says, you are of your father the devil. These people who are claiming allegiance to God and yet their life, their lives, everything about their love and affections isn't focused in on Jesus and says, he says this very stark reality, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is pushing into our fake little statement that, oh, I believe, but our life is not marked by it. He's leaning into our actions, he's leaning into our affections, and he's leaning into our allegiance of whether or not he is truly our Lord. And Jesus will say in Matthew, stop calling me Lord if you refuse to come to me and do the things that I call you to do. Because why do you call me Lord, not do the things I ask of you? You see, faith in the New Testament is not an intellectual acceptance. It's an issue of allegiance. Which side am I on? Who's who's really the Lord of my life? You can trace your actions, you can trace your affections and it shows you where your true allegiance lies. So there's many of us that claim this belief in Christ and Jesus, don't miss this. All of this is because Jesus deeply loves you and and he wants you to have life and life abundantly. And when we whittle him down and when we kind of exalt ourselves into this greater version of ourselves and call that Jesus, he knows that doesn't lead to life and so he's leaning in because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to have life and abundantly, but he knows that's only in him. And so if he says this with our lips, he pushes us to go, but are you living it with your life? Are you calling me Lord or are you living like it? Again, it's like, Saying you're married but you don't pursue your spouse. You, don't, you use her for your own gain and then you're hiding a porn addiction. I'm not saying you're not married. I'm saying that you're not living like it. And Jesus is calling us in this passage to look deeply at our affections, look deeply at our actions, and ultimately to look at our allegiance. And to know if our life is marked by a hate and a fear, and a lack of self-control and a lust, if those are the fruit of our lives, if the fruit of our life is not love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, then we have to analyze what vine we're really connected to. Jesus is pushing forward an issue here. And your actions, your actions and your affections show where your true allegiance is. So City Bridge, this week, we want to invite you, and I'm gonna do the same, just to sit with Jesus, to linger with him, and say, Jesus, where am I listening to you? But Where am I avoiding you? Where am I ignoring you? What are the parts of scripture that I will gravitate towards, and then what's that part that I, that I often ignore? That you would sit with Jesus and ask that question of, What is truly drawing my affections in this life is it the things of this world, is it the comforts of our culture, or is it Christ? That you would sit with Jesus and just really be honest. Is he just your life coach that you can kind of whittle down to some better practices or is he your Lord that you follow him with everything in you? That you would say what Peter said last week, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. That's our encouragement for you this week because your actions and your affections show where your true allegiance lie. And so Jesus, with everything he's doing and everything he's declaring, is showing who he is and what he has done. He is showing that he is the light of the world that provides for you, that protects you, that gives you peace. He's the living water that satisfies your soul. So the question we all have to answer, the most important question of our life is, is he our Lord and are we living that way? Because when we miss the fullness of Jesus, we miss the fullness of life and he doesn't want that for you. But when we find Jesus, when we taste and see that he is good, when we taste that living water that satisfies our soul, when we see that he is the light of the world, then we find the life that we were made for. Because when we find Jesus, we find life. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.